Welcome to another episode of Pod Clubhouse's Press Pass coverage. This one is for the 2023 edition of the Houston Horror Film Fest, where I met actress Anjanette Cluis, who I have never actually met anyone at a bar that's interesting because I don't hang out at bars <laughs> that much. And so Anjanette sat down right next to me, and instantly I was like, I need to talk to this person because she's very interesting. Welcome to the podcast, Anjanette. <laughs> Thanks for having me. So what was so interesting was that your attendance at the Film Fest was no accident. You were there as an interested party and, a, and an actress in horror movies. I was there for my day job, but I planned it as such to be there that weekend. So um, staying in the hotel, I had a lot of friends, um, some guests and some vendors that were there I wanted to see. And I figured I would uh, kill two birds with one stone with that trip. And I had a great time. I'm just dying to know because I've I've looked at your your IMDb the movies you you suggested to me like how long have you been acting and and how did you get swept up into the low budget horror genre Oh gosh I have always been into B movies um, that was my favorite thing on the weekends was me and my little brother going to the family video and reading the backs of every single horror film and, and just picking out the most campy, weirdest thing we could come up with. Um, titles like Bloodhook and some earlier, you know, full moon stuff. And it's just always been my jam. And um, I've also kind of always been a performer. I was a fire performer for 20 years. Started doing that when I was 17 years old. And that's actually what got me into my first acting gig. So there's like a local band in Texas called Ghoul Town. And I'm not sure if you've ever heard of them, but um, I, I think not. Lyle was actually at the Houston Horror Film Fest. He writes books now on Sasquatch Bigfoot type stuff. But okay, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, kind of a cool Texas, you know, vibe. Um, if you ever get a chance to look them up, they're great. And I used to do their their stage shows when they would perform in Dallas and stuff. And so, I, you know, doing fire for 20 years, John Keyes, for, you know, was going to do American Nightmare and he wanted the band to play. I mean, they, they're on the soundtrack, but he wanted them to actually play in the movie and you know he came out to Clearview or something like that we, we did a show and he saw me do my fire thing and he was like oh that has to be in the movie too so I'm like okay sure why not which didn't wind up happening because it was completely outdoors which he failed to mention and I can't I can't do it that way um, okay. with the stuff that I use. But that's actually what got my foot in the door. And then he, um, the very next film he did was Suburban Nightmare. And he's like, I really want you to play this role. And so after I did these two movies, and then I thought, I have no skills whatsoever. Like, <laughs> I need to go to class. So I started taking acting classes, did that for about three or four years got an agent, got booked on a couple of national commercials also for fire. But then after a while, you know, you get these invitations to come to these horror conventions. And then once you're there, you meet other people and they want to put you in a film. And it just kind of took off. I mean, it just became this thing. It's just kind of a thing I did for fun, like a creative outlet. But every year this happens and, and I'll get two or three more films done and I just enjoy it. And I figure, you know, even when I'm retired, I mean, I can still be an 80 year old actor and still do horror films. And so it's just a great, awesome thing that I get to do and express myself and why not? 
Do you still perform any any fire acts, or is that uh, time passed? Yeah, I do not. So December 2010, I had a bad accident on the set of a rap video and um, lost about six months. So <laughs> I see. Yeah. yeah. That sounds like a very bad accident. It was. But it was a good 20-year run. I mean, nothing lasts forever. I mean, what am I going to be in my 50s lighting my crotch on fire? <laughs> Kind of what I was doing. So. <laughs> wow. I mean, not actually. I mean, you wear a patent leather bathing suit and you can light that on fire. Like um, in Witchcraft 13, you can see me play with fire in the cave. And if you ever get a chance for that, then you can kind of see what I'm talking about. So I can blow fire and eat fire and then light certain parts on fire. And It's a whole thing. Not anymore, though. <laughs> Speaking of Witchcraft 13, I mean, that's the continuation of a pretty long running franchise. The first one was in 1980. Yeah. And oh, but wait, there's more. I did 14 and 16 also. So there are 16 installments of Witchcraft currently. I could find 14 and 16, but I couldn't find 13. I'm not sure why, but they did have a different director. So it looks like the uh, one director had, had done 10, 11, and 12, and he wanted to do 13, and Jerry Pfeiffer gave it to a different director. But then 14 through 16 was the previous one, and so he picked up the storyline where he left off, and he is the one who probably does most of the streaming. So there's probably a million reasons 13 um, is a little harder to find, but it is actually one of the better ones in the series. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that the quality kind of waxes and wanes depending on different factors. Um, yes. <laughs> are, are those uh, made uh, here in Texas also? Um, Witchcraft 13 was made in Houston when 14, 15, and 16 were in L.A. Looking through all your different roles, do you have one that was a favorite or maybe a production that was your, a favorite? I like to play more, I mean, like, you know, Witchcraft 13 is basically like Skinamax, you know, so a lot of them are all like TNA and hot chick rolls and stuff like that. I think the stuff I get more into, especially because like, you know, I have a fire background and I like, and I used to do stunt work as well. The action crazy stuff is the stuff that I like the crazier, the better. So like when brain tumor comes out, that's one of the latest ones I did. It's a brain tumor that kills people. Like things like that are funny to me. Like Pot Zombies 2, more pot, less plot, where it's just going from one crazy story after the next. So usually the crazier, the better, and the more action, the better. And anything where I could do, you know, more of a monster kind of role. When it comes to those roles like that, where there's more action, more violence on a low-budget film, how, how does that look safety-wise and, and on set? really scary i am not gonna lie so i mean just some of the things that i have been through just like with witchcraft 13 i mean like i went to the hospital after we had filmed in a cave we had filmed in this cave all day long it was eight and a half stories underground the director had me wear these red contacts of course we're doing all kinds of things in this cave right i'm playing with fire we're running around there's a scene at the very end where i get shot you know so squibs are flying off my chest you know with the bullet holes and stuff like that well the craziest thing 
don't ever buy contacts at like a head shop or something like that, which I'm pretty sure is where this man got these. They were not like optical grade, right? And I don't know, I'm just dumb, right? You could have made my eyes red in post. So again, this is just sort of the th some of the things that you deal with with low budget filmmaking and the fact that a lot of them don't carry insurance or really care about what they're putting you through. They're just trying to get the shot, right? right. And so after being, you know, wearing these contacts all day long and I'm blind as a bat too, so I can't see also while I'm doing all of this crazy stuff. So at the very end, you know, we walk back up, go into the bathroom, wash our hands. I take the contacts out to put my contacts in and the oxygen hit my eyes and it caused this reaction. They call it ketosis or something like that. It was something weird where my eyes had basically been starved of oxygen from wearing the contacts and being underground. And, you know, probably the fire play didn't help. It was excruciating. I had to go to the hospital. So the closest hospital to where we were filming was in San Antonio because this was on site at a cave without a name, which is in Bernie, Texas. And so San Antonio Hospital was the closest one. That's not close. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the closest. San Antonio was the closest hospital to Bernie. Right. The rest of the film was, you know, obviously we did in Houston, but this was, you know, you had to have a cave, right? So we had to go to, we had to film on site at the on location here. And so here it is, like, it was like a Friday night in a really busy hospital. And they're wheeling me through there on a gurney. And again, like I'd gotten shot in the cave, right? So I've got bullet holes and blood all over me. And I'm in a lot of pain from the eyes, right? And so I can't see, my eyes are closed and they are just wheeling me through this like, and you can hear people just gasping and like, oh my, oh my God. God, like like thinking, <laughs> oh, like I've been shot or like some crazy thing. So, I mean, they got me into a room like two seconds. It's not like you go to the hospital with something and you sit there for eight hours and they play triage and and other people get in before you know they got me right into a room i felt like i had upset i felt so bad too because i felt like i had upset every single person there you know just because of what they saw and uh, but little things like that happen all the time you're constantly getting hurt on the set it's just one of those things i don't do stunt work nearly as much now that i'm not as young and spry but yeah these things happen like all the time and so, the, the crazier the ask, you have to start pushing back, like, wait, 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 do you have a plan for this? Like, I mean, I remember at one point they're like, okay, Anjanette, we're going to tie you up to this thingy. And then when you get hit by a fireball, we're going to yank you backwards and you're going to land on this guy because the cave floor was very, was all rocks. It was very painful. Mm. So, and the guy was softer than the rocks. Mm, yes. Okay. <laughs> and so they were just going to pull me back. Like, you know, they, you know, like rig a belt around your waist underneath your clothes. And then you, they jerk you backwards. So you go flying backwards because you got hit by a fireball. And this is just like Naturally. behind the scenes. This is what you got to do to get the shot kind of thing. It was like, oh, and then you're going to land on this person. Or when I was doing through hell, they're like, okay, in this scene, you're going to jump up on this actor and you're going to start going nuts and hit him and he's going to throw you across the room. And I'm just like, you're like, what? Well, he's just going to throw me across the room. <laughs> and we did that. I mean, we did that again. Like I wouldn't probably do that now, but earlier on when I was younger, it was just like the crazier, the better. And uh, I have learned my lesson. I have the bumps and bruises and the memories to support it. I'm not going to go back to do that. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. I mean, and and hot tip to all the listeners: if you if you want the, to jump the line at the ER, fake a gunshot wound and come in with that, and then you exactly. can little eye things. They're like, yeah, whatever. You would just wait. You can wait, but with a mm -hmm. gunshot wound, uh, oh my god! It was funny too. I couldn't see. 
for like three days. And so the director had to drive me all the way back to North Texas. His wife had to follow me, follow behind us in my car. And my friend had to meet us there and stay with me. It was so funny. I mean, not funny at the time. It's funny looking back on it. But yeah, I've really been through the ringer. And then, like I said, you know, I got hurt on the set of that rap video. Things like that happen all the time. There's not a big focus on safety. And again, it's all about getting the shot. And so you just have to learn how to navigate that without getting hurt. Don't yeah. compromise yourself ever. Yeah. That's my advice to everybody. Don't ever compromise yourself. Well, even, I mean, I've uh, been reviewing movies and things kind of this summer hasn't been like a great one for new entertainment. Um, and so I've been looking at a lot of older things and reading older things. And, and then what your story kind of reminds me of is they use the same rope trick on Ellen Burstyn in The Exorcist. <laughs> it, oh, good to know. Yeah. I don't feel so alone now. Or... Well, she has permanent <laughs> back injuries because of it, though. Oh, well, there you go. That's okay. Exactly. Maybe she didn't have a guy to land on that was softer no. than what she landed on. I mean, I'm just telling you that's. Maybe that was what she did wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it was all Friedkin. It was it was like she was telling him that you're doing it too hard. And he, he told the stunt performer that was yanking her, don't pull so hard. And then when she looked away, he like made some sort of hand signal to indicate, no, no, do it harder <laughs> next time. <laughs> and that's the shot hey, they use. And that's the shot all that All about hurt. getting the shot. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So looking through your filmography, is Through Hell a, a lead role for you? Yeah, it was. I'm possessed by ghosts. There's a lot of action, so it was real fun to do. One of those things like you're shooting in a barn, you know, just remembering back, it was like a barn in August in Texas with oh. no... Yeah, no those, those, are, those are really great places to be. Yeah, I mean, some of the most amazing places to film are the most uncomfortable, awful. But it was a lot of fun to make. I'm not going to lie. And I made a lot of friends on that one. Um, it just didn't get the kind of distribution like some of the other ones have. I think Amazon might be the only place I, I think I've ever really seen it. I did have copies of it for a while, but I think I've exhausted those at the conventions. Do you find that you work mainly within kind of a community? Of, of filmmakers in North Texas, or is it broader than that? It's a very small community. Small community. And, and absolutely, you work with the same people over and over and over again. So a lot of these projects, it's like I've, I've worked with this one person and they're going to work another project for someone else. And then you just kind of, you know, go with them or, I mean, I do meet, you know, people at the conventions and stuff like that, that are brand new to me. That's just like, Hey, I've seen your work. I have got this project coming up. I would love for you to be a part of it. And I'm just like, sure, send me the script and let's, let's talk about it. You know, let me see what you got, you know, uh -huh. but a lot of the times too, especially in Texas being horror movie capital kind of. You do work with the same people over and over and over again. And I mean, once they've worked with you, they know you, they trust you, then they, they know they can rely on you. They're going to stick with you. And a lot of directors do that. They'll stick with the same people. You'll see the same people in every movie. I mean, even really big directors, it's not just little directors or BBB directors. I'm talking about like, you know, even Hollywood A-listers do the exact same thing. Sure. A director's going to use the same actors every time he does something. So because it is a small community, you can really never burn a bridge. You better always be on time. You better always be off book. <laughs> <laughs> Easy to work with. That way you keep your reputation and, and they want to work with you again. I mean, that's kind of the key to walk away and they, they like you still. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I would totally work with this person again. That sounds like just like a microcosm of, of how Hollywood works, like you described. I mean, if you look at, say, 
Wes Anderson, he's been relying on the same actors for 20 years, right? Yes, absolutely. Although he doesn't make scary movies, but you get this is the same idea. It's the same idea. Yeah. And I think, too, once you you have that relationship, you know, the camaraderie on the set, you kind of know what they're looking for. They're easier to read, you know, hanging out with your best friend, you know, or your significant other. Like, you know, you can finish. You said their sentences, stuff like that. You know, the more time you spend with people and then, you know, you meet a total stranger. It's not going to flow as much, you know, and sometimes people just get comfortable and they're just like, well, I know what I'm going to get here. And so this is what I'm going to do. And you just hope that like their next project has something that, you know, you fit the specs. If, if someone was listening to this and comparing your, your filmography and they knew some of the videos, what kind of budget range do you suppose these movies kind of work in? I would say through hell that he probably made that for a thousand dollars. A thousand dollars. I'm talking you do the work yourself. You get free locations. I mean, so you're a director, you're also running camera, you're running sound. You got a lot of people wearing a lot of hats. Um, Sounds like it. A, a very small amount of people actually wearing a lot of hats. Anytime you have less money, it just creates more work. And then you have something like Rift that I produced, roughly $10,000. And I got really, really lucky. We shot it in my the house that we used to rent before we bought where I'm living now. So we used that. It was a free location. We gorilla styled all the other locations. And then I had a friend that had a bar in Deep Ellum, and, and so we shot the bar scene on his rooftop. And it was just like, perfect. I just got really lucky. Joe Bob Briggs is in it. He didn't even charge me. Whoa. Um, you know, I had a lot of names, like Ashley Ray's in it, Parrish Randall's in it. They all got paid and stuff like that. But Joe Bob just did it as a, because he's my friend. You know, he's like, yeah, hey, I'll do your little movie. That's cool. So he does the opening cameos in the scene, you know. But it really is just different. And then you have people like the guy that did Strix and Dr. Gift and and all that, you know, he crowdfunds, and so he could get anywhere between thirty and you know ninety thousand dollars okay. to make it to make his movies. So Strix was fun, Doctor Gift. There was nothing for me in there. I think he's got like Daniel Harris and some other people in that one, and that's coming out right now. I mean, it's I mean, they're premiering it right now. I think I got a, a notification the other day they're doing a Dallas premiere uh, for it in the next week or two. Since I couldn't find all of your movies, I I, I could only compare the ones that I could find, but Strix looked filmy. Was it shot on film or was it a little higher end post-production that made it, I don't know what. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And I know he didn't film it on film. So he definitely got that look using other things. I don't know if it was a red or if it was something else, but no, he didn't shoot that on film. And he got really lucky too. I mean, the locations they used, just the house he lives in was probably three locations right there. You get real creative when you're, you know, on a budget, but as you know, but as long as people can't tell when they're watching it, it's great. Sure. You You keep mentioning Rift and that sounds exciting. What made you want to move to the producer role? I just felt like it would make me a better actor. You always help out on the set. I mean, you you know, you're eventually going to learn how to help run camera or hold a boom mic or whatever. But I felt like this would give me a more 360 view of the process and I would use it as a learning experience. And I had enough friends that would donate their time and do my little movie, you know. Yeah. Um, in fact, Harry Manfredini is going to score it once we get 
the editing finalized. Harry, if you're not familiar with him, did all of the music for Friday the 13th. Well, that's pretty iconic stuff. Yeah. So it's like, I just have a lot of like really good friends that just really helped out. And so, you know, I was able to like, okay, well, we'll just do it like a, like a, a project or like a workshop. A lot of times too, when you actors will get together and film things on their own in lieu of going to a class and paying for a class and, or like whether it's a master class or you're going twice a week, you know, for three hours and working with a group like Daisy Power, we, we did that little mini episodes and then put it all together to make one big one. And it was just like this project me and Ashley did at her house. So I just kind of thought, you know, if it's terrible, then it's terrible. But if, if not, well, then we had fun and we workshopped it and did all this cool stuff. So even more advice I can give your listeners too: don't ever film in your own home. It's kind of like shitting in your nest. <laughs> your neighbors will hate you. Like your animals are going to hate you. I mean, we had we three little ferrets and they would get into all the equipment. We didn't cage them and stuff like that. We did all the equipment. We're going to give them credits at the end as, as far as, you know, equipment inspectors. But yes, your neighbors will hate you. They will call the police on you. We had so many crazy experiences. I have no words. Just don't ever do it. <laughs> There's a preview. There's going to be like a fight scene or yelling and screaming or you're going to be shooting at night. Like, just don't do it. Oh, right. There's a long preview on Daisy Power that runs on IMDb when you when you go to that page. So you can see your costume and, and that Dolly Parton inspired wig. And uh, yep. <laughs> a little I'm, Dolly I'm, Parton uh, and a little Shirley Temple uh, with, the, with the ringlets. I'm Angel Marie, so Marie Antoinette, ah. but I'm this girl's angel, and I give terrible advice. And these are little mini episodes. Like they, I mean, she got, she actually got this written up in the New York Times, New York Post, something like that. But it was just this little thing, and, and each episode was only like a minute and a half. At the end of the season, the quote season, you could put all of those things together back to back, and it equaled like one full episode of a show you would watch on TV. And so, like, I have the whole thing running all the way through, like at home. But and you watch it, and it's just like watching an episode of something. But they're actually little micro episodes of things, and we just did that at our house to stay fresh and and just like anything else. You know, you don't use it, you lose it. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, no matter what, you'll always have a a little setup in your home where you could, you know, tape an audition if you had to and send it in. Everybody's got the step and repeat with the drape behind it. A lot of us will have little areas where you could film something if you wanted to, like something fun, like we have a little tiki bar set up in our home. There's a million things I've done from there just on my, on my own for fun. Just acting is just a really fun way to keep your creative juices flowing. I respect it. I don't think I could do it, but I mean, I have an endless fascination with the process of, of filmmaking, more the behind the camera stuff, but meeting actors and, and listening to the stories about what happens on set and that kind of thing is also super interesting to me. But even after talking to me, you're like, I don't ever want to try any of that crazy stuff. That girl's looking to be alive. <laughs> well, it does sound like you might have dodged death a couple of times here. I feel like I have. <laughs> I'm much more careful now. I would walk away from a role. I was like, you are crazy if you think I'm doing that. Like, I've had those conversations with people. Well, that, I mean, yeah, what you just described was when you get hit with the fireball, we're going to yank you uh, into the arms of someone behind you. That, that That's, that's, uh, gonna land on him. A lot of people would say, not this girl. No, not this girl. Oh, no, but I did it. Oh, but I did it. And, you know, it, yeah, again, I've learned my lesson. 
Well, they, they wanted more. They kept bringing you back. So that was not a continuation of the same character in future witchcraft movies, no. right? No. No, I mean, when the new director picked it up, he just left, it was picked it back up where he left off after 12. So it's almost like you completely skip over a storyline. Sort of like Halloween 3. You just don't need that part. <laughs> yeah, I just, it's just, yeah, you're, you're throwing it in there and it doesn't even, it doesn't even, it doesn't flow. It doesn't mesh. It doesn't make sense, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly like that. But, you know, it really does have a fan base. I mean, it's a kind of got like a cult following and so a lot of people collect them and, so they'll, whether they're good or not, they'll take them and be glad that it's part of their collection. I mean, they all have something to offer. They're all crazy, but you got to really love low budget to love that series. So when it comes to Rift, you're the producer. Did you have an idea for a movie? Did you need to write it, hire a writer, all that stuff that producers do? Or how'd that, how'd that go? Me and Ashley Ray, she's the one that did uh, Daisy Power. She was in Witchcraft 7, just side note. Oh, OG. <laughs> yeah, right? For real. So her and I were just talking one day. We're just like, we just weren't liking some of the roles we were getting. And we just wanted to do something different and incorporate all like the classic stuff, like the nudity, the girl on girl, the action, the blood, the crazy, whatever you could throw into it. And so we just sat around and brainstormed like, what all could we, you know, let's, so we, we kind of came up with like a storyline, not mm -hmm. like a script or a book or anything like that, but just kind of a, okay, this person, and then she's going to go on this journey. And then all of these crazy things are going to happen, start happening. And so, but we didn't know really how to, how to like tie it all in with together. And so I reached out to Amador, who I did through hell with, and, and I was like, what do you think? What are your thoughts on this? He goes, well, send it over to me and let me see what I can do with it. He decided to come on and um, he wrote the story. And of course, we went back and forth and edited a bunch of things. And and finally, we're happy with, you know, how we landed, how it came out. And then he directed it. It was just kind of like a group effort. And then so like every person in there is a friend of ours. <laughs> you know, we didn't do like, we didn't like hold a casting and say, okay, we need a person for this and a person for that. It was all kind of predetermined. Like, I think this person would be great for this role. And then of course you reach out to your friend and they're like, oh yes, I would love to do this. This would be great. That kind of thing. So um, we did get an investor that put in about seven grand and then I just ponied up the rest. And then we'll just see, I mean, it actually is coming out better than I would have thought for my first one, especially only spending $10,000 to make it. Mm -hmm. It's got some truly good production value and, and at least enough decent names. And then, you know, you know, the score will be amazing because of Harry. And <laughs> so looking forward to that. So, yeah, I really can't wait to see how it's going to come out. When do you expect that to release? Hopefully spring or summer of next year. Again, when you're not paying a bunch of people to do things like editing and post and all that, you're suffering through the work. So it's just really time consuming. And then you've got technical issues that are harder to overcome. And that's kind of where we're at right now. So, you know, next step is reaching out to another friend to like, okay, what can you do with this? Like, it, this isn't matching up or whatever. And mm -hmm. then, you know, mostly just technical stuff. And then once all the technical stuff gets done and it's edited and we, we like the way it looks, then it's just a matter of getting it over to Harry. And then, of course, I'll have to spend a little bit more money there. But I do feel like it will have more production value than a movie that you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe you made this for $10,000. Like, I bet Pot Zombies 2 is made for less than that. And they got really good distribution. <laughs> I mean, I could, Walmart bought it. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, Pot Zombies really? 2? Like, Walmart? Like, you're joking. I couldn't believe it. So it was Witchcraft. Witchcraft 13. And in fact, 
the, it came out on its own in Walmart, and then it became part of a four horror films. All and I'm sure you've seen them in like the Walmart bins by the movie section. It's like, right, yeah. You know, it could be anywhere from like five or ten movies all on you know this one DVD thing. Right. And it became part of that. And then when Pot Zombies two, I was just like, I just can't believe. I just feel like Sam Walton is rolling in his grave somewhere. Right. Like. <laughs> that Walmart's carrying some some of these movies. So, yeah. So you've then needed to not only learn the acting side and some of the other behind-the-camera jobs, but now you've had to learn the producer side and worry about getting it in front of eyeballs and that sort of stuff. How, how has that process been? Ooh, I would never do it again. <laughs> I have mad respect for people who do this. But when you are sourcing all of your locations, you don't have a location scout, like that's you. Like you have to secure all the locations. You have to line up everybody that's working. You have to put out the call sheets. As far as getting it in, in front of the right eyes, I'm actually, I've got a couple of um, sales people that will take it and shop it. And well, that's a relief. Make a commission off of it because uh, there's just no way. I was like, I know my limitations at this point. I feel like I have learned a lot. Don't necessarily need to know everything. Like I'm fine. Like saying, okay, I'm good. Somebody else take over for this kind of stuff. But yeah, producing is not fun. It's it's a lot of work. Well, and it sounds like you're fulfilling any Swiss Army knife kind of role behind the camera in addition to the role of, of traditional producer from what you described. Again, you wear a lot of hats. You're not just producing. You're the line supervisor, taking the photographs for continuity, you know, making note of the scenes. I'm definitely better on the creative side than the technical side. And so I'm glad that I learned what I learned because I've, I've you know, obviously it's helped me grow as mm -hmm. an actor. But at the end of the day, just because I did it doesn't mean I need to do it again. <laughs> it's like, nope, I'm good. <laughs> what about um, directing? You do a touch of directing with everything. I mean, even Daisy Power. I mean, her and I made that ourselves. So, you know, if, if the camera's on me, you know, she's filming me and directing me. If the camera's on her, I'm filming her and directing her. You know, same thing with a lot of the interviews I used to do for, like, say, Texas Frightmare Weekend. Or, you know, I hosted another show called um, Haunt Shooter that you can watch on YouTube where we go and visit haunted houses and we walk you through the haunted house and then we interview the scare actors and and all the stuff and just kind of showcase each individual haunt and stuff like that. I think there's a touch of that with everything. If you're hosting, you're basically directing. If if you're behind the camera, you're directing. If you're helping the other talent do what they've got to do or start them over or put them in a different position or whatever. So I feel like that's just another hat that you wear, like holding a boom mic when you don't have a sound person. <laughs> um, didn't seem like that big of a deal or that technical to me versus, you know, the other one was just like really technical and a lot of work and a lot of admin. And it's just like, oh, I'm better on the creative side for sure let's talk about those interviews that happened um quite a while ago now but i noticed that you got to talk to george romero what was that like yes i've gotten to interview him twice he was so sweet didn't really want to do the interview i'll be <laughs> honest and of course the people that you know are doing this for frightmare were really cushion but then once it was just like once you got him talking opening up the floodgates i mean the same thing with Karen Black. 
you know, she was just like, well, what do you want to talk about? Like, she just didn't really want to do an interview. But then once you sat down and you start talking, mm-hmm. like 20, 30 minutes into it, you're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get out of this? You know, I mean, not like that. I mean, obviously, you're, you, you know, you're enjoying the time and the conversation and all that. It was just like, it's so funny. It's like, I thought they didn't want to be interviewed. And so you're in your brain, you're trying to keep it quick and let, you know, I'm going to ask him just a couple of questions and I'm going to thank him for their time and walk away. But no, he was very gracious and very sweet. And, you know, we were able to cut up and laugh about things and talk about things. And he just, he was a really genuinely great guy. I've seen him in interviews and he seems very humble. Um, Very, yes. Like he was like, I can't believe all these people are here to celebrate me. It was like an anniversary of some sort in his career for one of his films or something. And he just couldn't believe all the attention he was getting. I'm like, you're George Romero. What do you mean? You don't understand the attention you're getting. Like my mind is blown right now. I know we talked about this when we met, but I'd like to get it in the podcast. Um, What kind of films do you like to watch? Aside from just like, I just love B-movies. I really like the classics, the the black and white and the campier type stuff, like your Friday the 13th, Bloodhook, that kind of stuff. As far as like the older stuff, I mean, like I love Full Moon, but I'm more geared towards Puppet Master or Subspecies, not necessarily, you know, some of the newer ones that they put out today, like Ginger Dead Man and stuff like that. I'm more, I would be more geared towards the the earlier works. My house is done in, in Boris Karloff. So there's pretty much nowhere you look in my home right now that you do not see Frankenstein um, or the mummy on the wall or in the collector case. <laughs> yeah. I just have, a, yeah, just, I've always had a Boris Karloff thing. <laughs> Um, tall, dark, tall, dark, and scary. That's what I like. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the campier, the better. I do like that kind of stuff. And, and see, it's my husband's the complete opposite. He would like more like your Hellraiser or, you know, some crazy stuff like that. And it's just like, whoa. <laughs> you know, I went back and watched Hellraiser. And after finishing it, I was like, how did this spawn a series? <laughs> I don't know, but... <laughs> He loves it. That that's like the the crazier mind mind stuff. Yeah, like that too. He gears towards that, and I'm just like, no, I want the, I want him to be in a cabin in the woods and some, you know, like. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. guess we're all different with our horror. I mean, I, I love it all, honestly. But I mean, if I had to pick favorites, that's that would be the, my direction that I would tend to lean. So yeah, the it, like the classic stories too, like a good haunting, right? Mm-hmm. And then you've got like your Bloody Mary movies babysitter movies like the ouija board movies all the classic things that you thought about growing up and things that you were afraid of Mm -hmm. that's the kind of stuff i liked so yeah so like if you're at your friend's house and you're young and you want to go to the bathroom and say bloody mary three times and then scare yourself all night long like movies that are based on that that kind of stuff i love that and the haunting stuff is a lot of fun too it sounds like probably not so much like hereditary or midsummer or those kind of newer fangled horror movies like that no. no. In fact, when I think of Midsummer, I think of the uh, the British TV series that I loved. But no. I didn't like Midsummer so much. Hereditary, though, left me feeling shook afterwards. That one was pretty eerie. All right. Well, besides <laughs> besides Rift, what else do you have coming out that we might be able to look forward to? Butcher's Bluff is one. 
Um, I'm not a lead in that. I just play a townie, but it's a fun role. It's kind of like the, can't think of his name, but, you know, in the Friday the 13th where it's like, you're all doomed, you're all doomed. And, you know, kind of sets the stage, sends the people to, you know, where they need to go, where they're going to meet their demise kind of thing. So it's it was a fun role. Um, shot that in Bastrop, Texas. That's where uh, Shazam lives, isn't it? Uh Zachary Levi has a has a place out there. Oh yeah, Bastrop's blowing up right now too. They got the the, the original gas station from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is now a barbecue place, and they <laughs> have a convention that they put out once a year called Cult Classic. Yeah. So you could like Google that Cult Classic convention, and it's actually it always ties into the gas station. They've always got a lot of Texas Chainsaw Massacre alumni will show up to their conventions and stuff like that. So if you're a fan of that, that's a really good place to go for that. But I had met the the director there at Cult Classic, and um, I think he lives in Austin, but around there. Either way, I think Bastrop's only about 20, 30 minutes east yeah. of Austin. So it's you know pretty local to that. Right. To that. Right. But that yeah. area is really blowing up. It's beautiful. And uh, they're shooting a lot of horror out there, too. You can't blame them. I mean, Texas is a great place to shoot horror. <laughs> right. Country. Well, I mean, as you, as you saw at the film fest here in Houston, I mean, the, the people turned out for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, that hotel could barely manage, I don't think, uh, the amount of people, especially like on the, the vendor area. That was pretty packed. For... It was hard to get food, I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be in line for a minute and don't order off the menu. I think they said that was an extra 40 minutes, um, but right. you could at least get the buffet and, you know, at least get in line and get to it. Oh, and then I almost forgot to Brain Tumor. That's going to be a funny, it's a comedy horror film. Think Little Shop of Horrors, um, but, but a brain tumor. And that's a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. That one's coming out also. Like they're uh, Butcher's Bluff and Brain Tumor. The only reason they're not released right now is because they're in the process of being sold. So once they go into distribution, then um, it'll be available for people to watch or buy or whatever. And it'll be a lot easier to promote. But right now, just know that those are the two coming out that I'm looking forward to the most. So when things like the various strikes go on, um, doesn't on, affect me at all. Doesn't affect you. Does it? Does it affect Texas much at all? No. So Texas, being not LA, <laughs> right? Um, like, okay. So if I were an actor and I lived in LA, I would have to be union. I right. would have to. You were not going to work if you were if you were not union. Right. So you pay your dues. You go through the SAG after stuff great whatever we don't really have a whole lot of stuff happening i mean a lot of low budget and horror happens here in texas but not it's not this big film mecca so like yeah you can absolutely go union and live here but there'd be a a ton of projects you'd never be able to work on because all of these movies that we're talking about right now not a single one of those reunion if i were union and i were going to go work a union movie i wouldn't be able to because of the strike Right. But because we're making our own movies and they're independent films and they're not union films, then we're able to keep going. So, like, we can churn films out all day long here because we're not – there's not a big SAG-AFTRA presence. I mean, if you're if you're doing this for a living, which I do not, this is a creative outlet for me. I do maybe two or three films a year. It's fun. I use most of my PTO to, to do those right? because that's my vacation. That's my fun. But if you were doing this all the time and you had to make a living at it, then, yeah, you might have to go union even if you lived in Texas because you could probably go other places and, and shoot. And if you had a good, good enough agent, get sent other places and then you'd get everything that was happening locally. Like, I know 
a lot of Texas actors are working on the Oklahoma production for Tulsa uh, King. Right, yeah. That might make sense for them, but for you know, B movies and horror and Texas, it, it doesn't really make sense to be union. So we're not affected by the writer's strike, by the none of it. If you had to give anybody just a bit of advice on making movies in Texas or or anything that, that you think might be helpful for, for someone, just a budding filmmaker or actor, actress, what would you say? Oh, I say Texas is a great place to film horror with the country and the, the barns and the scary places. I mean, location, location, location. They say that's everything. It really truly is. It'll bring the most production value over any like name actor, honestly, especially if you're talking about low budget and, and, and budding film stars, you know, you're not going to be acting with a whole lot of real talent. So best just to have an open mind. And again, locations, <laughs> that's going to be your best, your best bet as far as production value on a budget. Well, thank you very much for joining me today. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. I am super excited to hear this later. Thanks for being here. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Oh.